1: Welcome to the Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain, and in just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the NBC Sports Edge team who covered the games for us this Sunday. We're going to be going through a shootout that wasn't, some games that we thought might be low-scoring and turned into shootouts, some unexpected blowouts, kind of a wild week on a short slate of games, and let's get to them. The Packers defeated the Washington football team 24-10 with Rodgers throwing for multiple touchdown passes in a sixth straight game, and the Packers now winning their sixth straight game. John Daigle, how do the Packers keep rolling here?
2: I'm actually going to start with Washington side of the ball because it was them that screwed this one up, not the Packers, because the Packers did not make any mistakes today, whereas the Washington football team, uh, some yards left on the field between Heineke, although he did connect With McLaurin often, seven catches on McLaurin's team-high 12 targets, including 50 yards and a touchdown on the opening drive. A couple amazing catches on his two receptions on that opening drive too. But overall, lots of time sailing the ball over McLaurin's head. And just the reason why people have been upset and the organization has been circling the wheels trying to figure out, well, do we go with Kyle Allen or not moving forward, um, was shown in this game. Someone who is now... And Heineke basically just flailing, trying to make plays as defenses continue getting more and more film on him. A couple of screwed situations, admittedly, for Washington, though, and Taylor Heineke supposedly giving himself up is what the refs called on a fourth and one run that otherwise would have gone for a touchdown. Also, Heineke's knee, even though Defender really wasn't around, touches the plane before the ball crosses it, thus they call it down as well. So that pretty much stripped Washington of a touchdown. Also, a fumble incident that involved uh, Ricky Stills-Jones and the team scrambling for a fumble inside the end zone. That was another lost possession inside the 10-yard line but overall it just came down to the plays that the Packers made and the plays that Washington did not
1: yeah and it does seem like the Washington passing offense is really condensing to Terry He had 12 targets here went seven for 122 and a touchdown this isn't new necessarily but you know it does seem like they just don't have another alternative other than you know maybe JD McKissick who had six targets here Ricky Seals-Jones I guess, is the secondary option at this point with seven targets. He went six for 51. But um, I believe Diamond Brown was hurt in this game. And then Adam Humphreys is kind of the the wide receiver, too, I guess, which which isn't really going to do it in fairness to Taylor Heineke.
2: What has happened, though, really, is that Diamond Brown, like you mentioned, injured in the first half. But really, it's just come down to Terry McLaurin and then RSJ, Ricky Steele Jones, who is their receiver number two, as he continues playing every single snap without Logan Thomas. Thomas is available to return next week. We'll see if he has his window open or if he actually is activated and immediately returns since the team's bye is in week nine. Likely that's when Ryan Fitzpatrick also will return afterwards in week 10. And so we'll also see on a short... No, no, no. Uh, We'll also see if they turn around Kyle Allen for the next game too. Hmm. But overall, yeah, between that, between Gibson, although they say he's not limited, clearly being limited, J.D. McKissick with a double-digit target share in four consecutive games as well, clearly siphoning touches, whether it's in the receiving game or on the ground getting carries as well. Like That's really what's happening with this offense is are just limited playmakers since everyone else, Curtis Samuel, Cam Sims, Brown in this game, are just all banged up. There are just few pieces to really turn to on a week-to-week basis. On the Packers'
1: side, a bit of a lower-volume uh, affair than we'd hope for. Um, Washington wasn't really able to push them, as you've laid out. And so Aaron Jones had just six rushes for 19 yards. Um, he had five receptions on five targets for 20 yards. Um, and then A.J. Dillon mixed in for three rushes for six yards. He had uh, two targets for one yard or one reception and two yards. So both guys in the backfield here really did not deliver value. Uh, What's your takeaway on that?
2: Pretty much a concerted game plan for the Packers with 35 passes to 12 running back carries overall. And it was unfortunate because it came at a time where, of course, a lot of people used A.J. Dillon to mask for bye weeks. And he answered with his fewest carries and fewest total touches in any game this season. Um, as he handled just 25% of Green Bay's total running back carries. Aaron Jones still viable with five catches on five of the team's seven backfield targets, but overall, that's what it came down to, is just getting the ball through the air in order to attack the weakness that is Washington's secondary, since their front seven is still holding strong and defending the run really well this year. Also, though, what's going on through the air is that even though Devontae Adams got there with 76 yards and a touchdown, leading the team with seven targets... It has become more of a dispersed and bigger target tree the past two games. Recall from weeks two through five when Adams was averaging an absurd 13.5 targets and 39.8% target share. And since we, we cited his opportunity in nearly 12 targets per game going all the way back, not to just the last year, but to week nine of 2019 season whenever he returned from injury. So there was a reason to believe, maybe not a 40% target share, but there was a reason to believe that like 30%, what Cooper Cup is accomplishing now, even though actually Cooper Cup's blowing that out of the water, there's reason to believe that Adams was talented enough to hoard that target share and targets an opportunity for himself the rest of the year. But the past two games now, just six targets per game for Adams and a 20.8% target share. And what that has led to is uh, Alan Lazard, who's had a at least a 17% target share in back-to-back games. Also in this game, five catches and a touchdown. Oddly enough, all five catches in that touchdown coming on the same drive, their final drive of the first half. But also Robert Tanya getting involved, unlike Dylan, answering whenever people had to use him since so many good, viable fantasy starters at that position were on by this week as well. And so we will see if that trickles in to Thursday night, a short turnaround for this team against the Cardinals. But overall, like suddenly if this is going to happen, then Tonian becomes a low in tight end one again, since before that he was either droppable or just stashable in tight end premium leagues. And then maybe Lazard sneaks in here as a bi-week aid flex option. Um, if they continue dispersing Adams targets, essentially everywhere.
1: Yeah. And had a nice line, five targets, four for 63. So it wasn't just that he got a touchdown and saved his day. He was, he was involved in a way we haven't really seen recently. Um, and in some ways it makes me feel better about the Packers offense that they can go to this alternate, you know, they can involve some of these uh, these alternate guys like Lazard. Uh, even Randall Cobb got involved a little bit. I saw him catch a, a ball getting them close to the end zone. Um, he went four targets, three receptions for 22 yards. So not heavily involved, but, you know, it seems like the offense is maybe a little bit more well-rounded um, than in previous weeks. And at the same time, I do expect them to funnel targets to Adams in many other weeks. It's just uh, maybe they'll be a little more consistent if they can get some of these other guys involved.
2: This is essentially Adams' floor, like this this game right here, the past two games. And so, if you're still saying like this is his floor, like he's not, he's also not losing weeks for you. And you know the ceiling is significantly higher, which still makes him obviously one of the more valuable players in all of fantasy.
1: Yeah, if this is your your floor, then you are a superstar, which Devontae Adams definitely is. But uh, John Daigle, thanks so much, and we'll talk next week. The Bengals defeated the Ravens 41-7 in a game where Jamar Chase had 201 yards, the most receiving yards by a rookie wide receiver in Bengals history. He now has 754 receiving yards through the first seven games, which is the most all-time by a wide receiver in their first seven games of their career Jamar Chase went off in this game, Denny Carter. Yeah, what else
3: happened? Yeah, you might call Jamar Chase generational, I think, and, and, it, and it actually makes sense to call him generational now that we've we've seen him just tear uh, tear apart the league through almost half a season here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the Ravens basically refused to shade coverage his way, to double cover him, to focus on Jamar Chase in any way. And he just got over time and time again on Marlon Humphrey primarily. Um, and, you know, it was deep. It was short. It was, he was spinning out of tackles. And, you know, that's how he got that 82 yard catch and run touchdown that basically, well, it didn't seal the game, but it, it definitely uh, put the Ravens in, in into panic mode against the Bengals. And uh, J- Chase was just impressive in, in every possible way. And, uh, nearly came down with another long pass and didn't even play this the the last half of the fourth quarter. So, you know, we wow. we we could have been talking about, you know, 250 plus yards from Jamar Chase today. Wow. Uh and
1: the other interesting thing here, he averaged 25 yards per reception. Uh he had a long uh of eighty-two. He only had 10 targets in this yeah. game. T. Higgins had 15. He yes. went six uh seven receptions for 62 yards uh what was the kind of the, the issue with with Higgins
3: that he wasn't able to connect for more on 15 targets there were two passes to Higgins where there was clear defensive pass interference against Higgins and it was not called and not that it would have mattered for for fantasy purposes because he didn't catch him but uh uh yeah he he was uh, he got some high value looks downfield which is good because I think something that Higgins drafters may have been worried about coming into this game is that uh, Higgins was being treated kind of like Tyler Boyd in a way. Like his mm-hmm. his A dot and yards per target were were significantly down from last season. Um, I you know the numbers checking those out on Monday. I think it'll show that uh, you know Higgins' role had expanded a bit here. Uh, and and there's also the fact that the the Bengals over the past few weeks have become uh, slowly but surely more pass heavy. And, you know, that really came to fruition here. 416 yards from Joe Burrow on, on 38 attempts. Again, Burrow was benched, was was yanked halfway through the fourth quarter because it was such a blowout. So I think that that gradual, uh, um, you know, move for the Bengals toward a more pass-heavy approach is going to be excellent for, for Higgins going forward.
1: And then what about uh, Tyler Boyd? He had seven targets, four receptions, 39 yards, is he kind of just clearly the third guy in this pecking order now?
3: Yeah, he's he's way behind. Uh, you know, like you said, se- seven targets. He uh, did most of his damage on on one catch over the middle of the field for twenty five yards. But other than that, you know, you you watch the game and it's just it was just Higgins chase, Higgins chase, and then Uzama got involved, uh, but only had three targets on the day. So yeah, Boyd is uh, Boyd is an afterthought, I think, well after Chase and and certainly after Higgins. Yeah, Uzoma, by the way, had two touchdowns in this game,
1: went 91 yards on three receptions. Uh, pretty nice for him, but not a ton of volume with just three targets. But what about the backfield where Joe Mixon had 12 rushes for 59 yards and a touchdown? Pirine had 11 rushes for 52 yards and a touchdown. How much of Pirine's usage was just kind of salting the game away?
3: Not, not a ton of it. You know, uh, he he did break off, P. Ryan broke off that 46-yarder up the middle against the Ravens when it looked like the Baltimore defense had basically given up uh, on the day. It it seemed like they, they had, uh, they were done trying at that point in the game. And uh, that's when P Ryan got his touchdown. So, you know, it's a little bit deceiving, but I think that there is something to be said about Joe Mixon's usage last week against the lions. When Samaj P Ryan was on the COVID list, I believe. And uh, Mixon got a lot of passing down work. He got, all the carries basically against the lions. And today that, that was not the case. Joe Mixon did not record a, a reception and P Ryan did one for 23. So I, I think that that is something we should pay attention to.
1: Yeah. And Chris Evans wasn't in the box score here. Uh, seems like P Ryan's very clearly ahead of him, which, you know, Evans had a nice showing, uh, when P Ryan missed. So that's interesting to note. I think yeah. on the Ravens side, um, What kind of went wrong here to only get 17 points?
3: It's hard to say because like Lamar Jackson played, played well, like, you know, got some chunk plays, 257 yards on just 15 completions. He had a touchdown to Marquise, Marquise Brown, uh, who saw Marquise Brown saw 14 targets on the day, which is a tremendous number in this offense. Um, And then Lamar added 88 rushing yards uh, against the Bengals. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I mean, the, the bank, the Ravens defense just couldn't keep make this a game, honestly. It, it, and, and I know that the Ravens only scored 17 points, um, but a lot of that uh, was was due to the Ravens having to basically abandon the way that they usually play. Um, and really, L- Lamar Jackson doesn't doesn't usually play great in that sort of game script, although we did see that a couple weeks ago against the Colts um it didn't didn't work this time that's for sure so his his numbers were a bit down but you know like like always Lamar saves his day with 88 yards on the ground yeah um and then Rashad Bateman had six
1: targets in this game three for 80 uh Mark Andrews seven uh he went seven targets went three for 48 what, what did you uh, see from the secondary targets here
3: yeah, well, Sammy Watkins being out was big for Bateman. You know, Bateman ran uh, ran around on sixty six percent of Jackson's dropbacks last week. I'll be interested to see what that number is in this game. i I would venture to guess that it, it would be around the same or maybe a little bit higher. Um, yeah, Bateman is is the wide receiver too, not not the number two target in this offense that would be Andrews. Uh, but, you know, Bateman has a role, and I think that, this offense, this Baltimore offense becoming more balanced, you know, not pass heavy by any means, but more balanced, means that like a tertiary option like Rashad Bateman can be fantasy relevant in the right weeks. You know, some sometimes you you're gonna get a blowout script where the Ravens are gonna run away with it and they're not gonna pass much. But in 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 back and forth script or or this kind of script, I think Bateman is is very serviceable in, in 12 team leagues. Is there anything to say about this backfield? Uh, Devonta Freeman went four for
1: 14 in a oh, touchdown. Yeah. Tyson Williams, two for 10. Le'Veon Bell, five for five on the <laughs> ground. It's like, yeah. what are we? This is supposed to be the Ravens. Uh,
3: so, yeah, right. And, and and Lamar Jackson is their RB1. You know, I, I think that that's like the reality that we have to accept right now. Um, they refuse to use Tyson Williams, which is just very frustrating when you watch, when you watch the game. And you see, Le'Veon Bell, like I, I tweeted today, uh, I'll try to remember exactly what I said. It was like uh, Le'Veon Bell looks like he's running in quicksand that's filled with shards of glass. You know, <laughs> and, and and usually you have one or the other guy looks like he's running on glass or the or in quicksand. No, he he has the 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 rare combination of, of both <laughs> of those things, and um and they and they give him five carries. You know, it's it's just it's baffling. Maybe you know going into the buy which, which they have this week. Maybe they will come up with some sort of plan to instill confidence where Tyson Williams can be used more as a primary, as a leading back. But no, I mean, Freeman, Bell, they are completely useless for fantasy unless they they get a short touchdown, which, of course, Freeman did today. Let's get to the second game
1: uh, that you covered where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers demolished the Chicago Bears 38-3. to this is where this was a game where uh, Justin Fields had five turnovers. Yeah, uh, really not a strong showing from the rookie.
3: Uh, it was it was really ugly, and uh, there were unless I missed it somehow, there were no designed runs for Justin Fields, uh. which I, I guess that's just something we have to accept. You know, it, it's they're they're not they're not going to use him a, as a runner, and he did he did end up you know just scrambling and getting out of the pocket. Uh, he did end up with, uh, let's see, uh, 38 yards on eight carries with a long of 16. But, you know, he fumbled twice. <laughs> He's It's just, you know, through three picks. And some of the throws were really awful. I have to say that Fields was under pressure uh, all day. But on the rare occasion when he could step up into the pocket, set his feet, not have somebody draped all over him he still missed guys badly. I'm talking like three feet over their head badly. So there there's, you know, between the play calling between his uh, accuracy issues, it's just like a black hole for fantasy that Chicago offense. Yeah. And Alan
1: Robinson had two for 16 on four targets. Uh, Darnell Mooney had three or two for 39 on five targets. Cole Komet actually the leading receiver five for 43 on six targets Really nothing. I mean, I, I guess you can kind of roll out Komet uh, tight ends gross enough, but it like, are we just benching Allen Robinson for the foreseeable future? What's going
3: what on? Do, yeah, do? You know, in the, in the uh, pregame show, 12 uh, o'clock show that we do, uh, John Daigle said, if Robinson can't get it done today and by get it done, I don't think John was talking about three touchdowns. You know, I think he was just talking about like a, like a decent fantasy day. If he can't get it done today against this Tampa secondary, then Allen Robinson could be droppable in twelve-team formats. Wow! And as much as I want, I want to scoff at that. Uh, you know how can you argue otherwise? Like he's no one in this offense, honestly, except for Khalil Herbert, is usable in fantasy. And I guess Cole Komet just because, like you said, the tight end position is is so disgusting right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully I guess here's the best case scenario. If you hold Robinson on your bench or on your roster right now, and don't, don't drop him this week, you're hoping he gets traded before the November 2nd deadline. And that's, that's the best case scenario. If not, then I don't think that you need to start him. That's, that's certainly for sure. In this, in this bears offense, it's a mess. Is another out perhaps that they fire Matt Nagy? um maybe but you know <laughs> laser is not so great either i i, I don't know I, I mean probably probably better than Nagy, but uh it's it's hard it's hard to it's hard to believe because alan robinson has excelled under such terrible circumstances throughout his career um and but this is this is beyond terrible like Back when he was with the Jags and he had Blake Bortles throwing for 200 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter in blowouts, like, that that worked. That worked for fantasy. That got it done. You don't have that here. Like, the the Bears had two full quarters of garbage time and didn't do anything with it. Wow. What
1: what about the backfield with Khalil (coughs) Herbert, who had 100 yards here, which, I don't know, might mean he's a Hall of Famer in this offense. Yeah, 18 carries, 100 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, like very impressive. Um and then oh, Damian Williams was back in this game as well. So Yeah. Can we use uh, the backfield at least? Her,
3: well, yeah, I you know, I think Herbert <laughs> weirdly is the only the only guy you can have confidence in right now. You know, Herbert had 18 carries to Damian Williams 3 carries. Uh, of course, Williams had 3 for 5 yards. Uh and uh Herbert had 5 targets he caught all five of his targets for 33 yards and Damian williams only had one target and caught that for three yards so uh, yeah herbert's like the by far and away the rb1 in this offense i think to the point and and there was some some beat uh beat writer chatter this past week about herbert's role when david montgomery returns from that knee injury I, I I don't see a way that they're going to just put Herbert back on the bench when Montgomery returns. So I actually think that this is this is bad news for Montgomery drafters who were looking forward to having a workhorse. I don't I, you know I don't know if that's going to come to fruition now that Herbert has really impressed. I mean, a hundred yards against the Tampa uh, defense with in this kind of game script, you know, you 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 adjust that uh, for a regular matchup, and it's four hundred yards. I think. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> what what about the Tampa Bay side? Um, what jumped out to you there? Uh well, you know, the like, like we thought, you know, with Antonio Brown out with the ankle and, and Gronk out with the rib injury, uh the, the the target distribution was very narrow uh for Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. They they both delivered. Evans saw ten targets, caught three touchdowns, seventy-six yards. Chris Godwin led the team with, with 11 targets. He caught eight of those for 111 and one touchdown. And Godwin missed out on a second touchdown very, very narrowly uh, in the second half. So uh, it could have been an even bigger day for Godwin. So, you know, anytime Antonio Brown is out, I, you know, Godwin and Evans just become really solid, like wide receiver twos with upside. And we and that's that's what we saw here. Tyler Johnson, not a thing today. Two targets caught both of them. For 16 yards, but like a a, a very much an afterthought when it comes to the Tampa pass catchers. Um, So I it was it was disappointing. Honestly, I thought that Tyler Johnson was a solid play, but it's just the Evans and Godwin show. When you see Keyshawn
1: Vaughn's name in the box score, you know that the Buccaneers won big. But we're getting to the point when you see Ronald Jones' name in the box score. Yeah. They also probably won big. He had 6.3 yards per carry here, going 10 for 63. He also did lose a fumble. He also was stuffed on a third and fourth down attempt, I believe, at the goal line. So uh, <laughs> what what did you see from the backfield? seems like Fournette's mm-hmm. probably clearly ahead and the rest was yeah. was due to the
3: script. Yeah, Fournette had 17 17- touches overall 15 carries and two catches fournette got a touchdown early in the game uh you know if the bears had been able to put up any kind of fight here i think that fournette would have ended up with probably like 25 touches and obviously more yards and maybe another touchdown um so it was a little bit unlucky for him today ronald jones like you said got 10 carries Keyshawn fons got five but that was all in blowout script like you you can completely write that off uh, Lenny is just locked in honestly as as the r b one and i don't I don't love it maybe you don't love it I'm guessing you don't love it uh but uh, but it is it is a fact they love him it's a good guess
1: um yeah no it, it seems like he's pretty locked in um all right I think that I think that pretty much covers it so uh Denny Carter, thanks so much and we'll talk next week all
4: right thanks for twenty five years Mikes has been making lemonade the hard way mike's hard lemonade hard days deserve a hard lemonade mike's is hard so is prison don't drive drunk premium all beverage with flavors all registered trademarks used under license by mike's hard lemonade company chicago
0: illinois the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble
1: The Titans defeated the Chiefs 27-3 to in the Chiefs' first regular season game of Mahomes' career without scoring a touchdown. Nick Mencio, what went wrong here for the Chiefs?
4: Uh, seemingly everything, I guess. Um, they couldn't get the ball in the first half. Uh, Mahomes attempted nine passes in the first half, completed five for 41 yards, I believe, in that half. Uh, Tyreek Hill had no touches in the first half. Um, they had no chance to establish the run with Daryl Williams at all. Um, Mahomes was just getting sacked, taking hits, took a knee to the face at one point and they fell in that twenty-seven the hole in the first half and never, were never able to climb out of it. So Mahomes left
1: this game. It looked like maybe it was a head injury, but he cleared the concussion protocol. But then I believe he never returned. What, what happened there?
4: Yeah, he took a knee, um, to the face mask, I believe, um, they were already trailing by a bunch, so there was no, they were kind of just protecting him from himself and was already a lost game with just a handful of minutes left. Put Chad Henney in for a couple drives, let him finish the game out. They weren't coming back. So he said after the game, he's fine, uh, cleared all the concussion tests. Um, he'll be out there next week against the Giants, um, which we could expect to be a big bounce back game for him.
1: Is this kind of just like a burn the tape game, like from a fantasy fantasy perspective here? Like, what do we what do we make of this going forward? Byron Pringle led this team in receiving yards with seventy three. Travis Kelsey had sixty five on twelve targets. Tyree Kill only had forty nine yards on nine targets. Uh, Miko Hardman had twenty eight yards on five targets. Daryl Williams went five for twenty on the ground, uh, three receptions for thirty yards. So you know, no one really had anything uh, of note. But what do we, what do we take from this?
4: I think you just gotta move forward, business as usual. I mean, you know the guys are gonna do the do the work for the Chiefs: Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, now Darrell Williams. He'll get another week at least as the starting running back. Um, good news is he handled all five running back carries. Um, Jarrett McKinnon's still not a threat. Um, positive game script. Game script next week should benefit him against the Giants. Um, yeah, I think you just need to burn the tape on this one byron pringle did all of his work with uh late in the game with chad henney Michael uh, hardman had the fumble late i think i think hardman needs to start losing some more snaps i mean this guy is not a good football player i mean i think i need to get josh gordon more involved his one target was intercepted where he was completely covered on the play it was just a silly throw by Mahomes. um got to get him more involved get pringle in there more for hardman i think um i don't know i just just move forward business as usual you know you know who the guys are in this offense
1: on the Titans side, you know, if if we knew going in that they were going to win twenty-seven to three, lead the whole way, Mahomes going to be out of sorts. I mean, everyone would have been jamming Derrick Henry, you know, in DFS and everything. <laughs> he would, but he only has eighty-six yards here. He gets twenty-nine rushes, so he's used plenty. Uh, he did uh, score a touchdown as a passer, but did not right. score a touchdown as a, a rusher or receiver. Um, what happened? Why wasn't Henry more productive here?
4: I mean, Henry got stuffed on one of his going carries from the one-yard line. Uh, I think he lost the yard on that one, and then Tannehill took it in on a keeper the next play from two yards out, and then he had that wildcat snap in the first half where he took the direct snap and threw it to, uh, I think it was Michael Pruitt for the touchdown, and then A.J. Brown had the long touchdown from 24 yards out, and then. That was pretty much it for. That's all the Titans needed. They didn't score in the second half. Went into the half with a twenty-seven 0 lead, and then just melted the clock away the second second half.
1: Okay, um, and so they really were just kind of grinding away time because it's not like um, another running back was all that heavily involved. Darrington Emerson no, 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 rushes. And then in the receiving game, AJ Brown. I mean, as as noted, you know, he was battling food poisoning, um, and you know, clearly seemed to be. Doing okay here. He went eight for 133 and a touchdown on nine targets. How did he look?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think this is the healthiest we've seen Brown since week one when he hurt his hamstring. Um, like, like you said, battled the food poisoning last week. Out there, full complement of snaps this week. Led the team with nine targets easily. I think Julio Jones only had four, and that was second most on the Titans. I mean, this offense goes through Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, and then it's like ancillary parts like Julio, who's just, who's just not doing it for – not doing it with Tennessee right now. Um, he's kind of just faded into the fades to the background, four or five targets a week. Not making many big plays. So Anthony DeFerks are not he's not doing anything this year. He's splitting time with Jeff Swaim and Michael Pruitt. So you know he's going to be getting the ball in this offense, just like the Chiefs. It's Derek Henry and it's AJ Brown.
1: Makes sense. All right, let's get to the second game you had, where the Cardinals defeated the Texans thirty-one to five. This is the third game this season where the Texans have not scored a touchdown. This is the fourth game this season where the Texans have allowed thirty or more points. So definitely a little bit of a mismatch here. Um not necessarily surprised that the, the Cardinals beat the Texans easily here.
4: No, I mean I was this first time, first game I've covered of the Texans this season. I mean, I could take a nap through this game. This game was so boring. Um Texans do Texans just don't do anything on offense that gets you excited at all. I mean Nico Collins led the team with 28 receiving yards. Um, Davis Mills averaged 4.2 yards per temp. I mean, could probably run for more yards per carry than that. Um, I mean, yeah, the offense in Houston, just forget about all these guys besides Brandon Cooks. They need to get Tyrod Taylor back under center, which sounds like it's going to happen sooner than later. So that'll be a big boost to Cooks, but nobody else in this offense is exciting at all. Um, Zach Gertz in his first game with the Cardinals, sucked up all four tight end targets on the team scored his longest career touchdown with a 47 yarder um he looks good in this offense um i think that's gonna hurt rondale more a little bit though especially with Ertz soaking up those targets in the middle of the field and more playing behind deandre hopkins aj green and uh christian kirk outside so i think Moore takes a little bit of a hit to a stock after with Ertz in the lineup
1: interesting and then you know aj green here got three targets went three for 66 hopkins had nine targets went seven for 53 and got in the end zone. And then Christian Kirk had five targets, went four for 50 with a touchdown. It really feels like with these Cardinals receivers, it's just a guessing game of who's going to score the touchdowns because there's not really as much volume as we have become accustomed to with the Cardinals. I think partly just because they're, they're almost too good.
4: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. They have so many guys in this offense that can do stuff. I mean, now they got Hopkins, Kirk, Green, Moore, Ertz, Edmonds, James Conner. Kyler Murray can even run touchdowns in, so just so many guys in this offense. I, th- I think Hopkins doesn't even have a 100-yard game yet this season, um, but he scored four touchdowns the last three games at the has 7 on the year, so touchdowns are just keeping him alive, and then, like you said, with Kirk and Green, it's just like pick pick your uh, poison every week. I mean, there's there's no predicting who's going to be the, the receiver behind Hopkins each week.
1: What about with the backfield? I mean, Chase Edmonds getting – 15 carries here to Connor's 10 is a little bit of a surprise given the game script. you think maybe they would have used Connor a little bit more just to kind of salt it away? But um, uh, what were your thoughts on the backfield?
4: Yeah, this is actually the first game Edmonds has out carried Connor um, this season, 15 mm-hmm. to 10. Um, only caught one of his three targets in the passing game. So I think his touches were more given the ball handed off rather than throw it to him. I mean, his, his targets late in this season have been like more extension of the running game. So they just handed it to him this week um they were ripping the texans with ease on the ground i mean James connor averaged 6.4 yards of carry like you said edmonds had 81 yards on 15 carries connor scored from 18 yards out i think this was his sixth rushing touchdown in the last five games i mean he settled in as a completely touchdown dependent rb2 but i mean this offense is always knocking on the on the brink of the goal line so connor's i think connor can easily score 12 to 15 touchdowns this season
1: wow all right um I think that'll that'll do it for a game where there's not that much to talk about with the the Texans not really pushing uh, the Cardinals at all. Nick Mencio, thanks so much. Absolutely, man. The Falcons defeated the Dolphins thirty to twenty eight. Matt Ryan has twelve passing touchdowns in his last five games and gets the win here. Pat Dardi, how did the Falcons pull this one out?
5: That's a good. Go. How did the Falcons ever pull anything out? Uh, you know, it seemed like they might lose, seemed like they might choke it away, but they didn't. Uh, like you said, Matt Ryan kind of like secretly balling out. I think he has five straight multi-touchdown performances. He bookended the Falcons by with essentially his two best starts of the season, three, plus 330 yards in both, uh, multiple scores in both. Finally, improving his efficiency, improving his yards per attempt not improving his connection with Calvin Ridley, but really, really getting the connection going with Kyle Pitts, who, you know, seven catches for 163 yards, and that didn't even really tell the whole story because five of his seven catches were 20-plus yards, like kind of like providing like chunk gains on command and, you know, kind of changing the face of the Falcons' offense the past two games, like really, really getting going. And, like, hopefully that will free up Calvin Ridley – you know, I just don't know what's going on with Calvin Ridley. He has, I think, he has 10 plus targets in each of his past four games. He's got like 230 total yards in that span. He had four catches for 26 yards on 10 targets on Sunday. Thankfully, one of them was a touchdown. But uh, he, one of his misconnections was a Matt Ryan interception that he just let get stolen away from him. Um, so we've kind of like got like a lot of we got good outweighing the bad with the Falcons, where Kyle Pitts seems to be changing like the whole face of this attack and has like revived Matt Ryan's season and we just got to get Calvin Ridley going and you know the volume is still there even if Kyle Pitts is going nuts we know the volume has to be there for Calvin Ridley because Russell Gage is you know he, Russell Gage was back and scored a 49 yard touchdown by the way let's not even get into that but <laughs> i have just talked for about 90 straight seconds about the falcons
1: well i mean with Ridley like if you told me that Matt Ryan is balling out Ridley's getting a ton of targets like I, I don't necessarily need to know more than that right like no, I I'm know. Just, like, it, it, what's what's happening is very frustrating but the fact that he got 10 targets here you know he does get in the end zone so at least it's not a disastrous day it it feels to me like we just kind of got to ride this out and, and Ridley's got to get back to what he normally does because because Matt Ryan's playing wrong
5: yeah Matt Ryan again not to overstate Matt Ryan I mean Matt Ryan the mobility uh you know, never the greatest, and he looks somehow a step slower this year even. or He scrambled like literally one time on Sunday, and he instantly lost a fumble. Uh, it was pretty bad. It was in the fourth quarter too. Uh, so he's moving like like basically like Stonehenge. So that for a guy who's never mobile, he somehow even looks slower. But, yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan, he has stabilized his game. After the first few games of the season, it kind of looked like he wasn't going to survive behind this offensive line. Like it might have kind of been the end of the line for this experiment, whereas now it just looks like perfectly normal post Kyle Shanahan uh, late era uh, Matt Ryan.
1: What about the backfield here? Because Patterson got fourteen uh, rush attempts to Mike Davis's four. Do we have an injury here? Do we have a changing of the guard here? What happened?
5: I don't think it was an injury, and I, yeah, I think it was the changing of the guard. So you're like you know, it was the bye week for the Falcons and. You know, the bye week, it can be like really narrative, Shreedy, but we know like the bye week, it's, if you're going to make a big adjustment, uh, like your personnel groupings with your usage, you're going to do it during the bye. And it seemed like the Falcons' adjustment was to just go all in on Cordero Patterson, who out touched Mike Davis 16 to 4. Mike Davis' previous season low for carries was nine. His previous season low for touches was 15. So pretty hard to ignore that. I mean, unless there's some unreported injury, it just seems like. They're making Mike Davis like the breather back now. And the, the imperfect comparison I keep making for Cordero Patterson is he's just basically, he's getting used like Austin Eckler where they're trying to not like run him into the ground in early downs, but they use him for like their big plays on early downs. And of course fall back on his, his total, like he's you know, very dangerous as a receiver. He had only two catches, which was his fewest since week one, but that just seemed like kind of fluke. He'd been catching basically five passes every week until today. And, yeah, I just don't know how else to describe it other than Austin Eckler usage, where we know he's going to get home almost every week as a receiver, and they're picking his spots very, very well as a rusher.
1: To your point, he had five targets, so it's pretty exciting to see that he's getting this much receiving work. Um, at this point, he just seems like like a pretty strong running back too, which is yeah. which is kind yeah. of wild.
5: He was a he was an RB one this week, and uh, you know he didn't he got the touchdown. He got came close to getting home as the RB one. There's only two teams on by, Uh, In week eight, instead of the sixth that we had this week, uh, the Falcons are playing like the collapsing Panthers. So he'll be a top 18 back. Like you said, I mean, he's even we had a full 32 team slate, uh, it'd be basically impossible to rank Cordero Patterson outside of the top 20 right now.
1: What about on the Falcons side? We had Miles Gaskin get 15 carries here for 67 yards. He also got in the end zone as a receiver with four receptions for 10 yards. This has been Probably the most hard to figure out backfield, I guess, of the backfields we actually care about um, in the entire league. Gaskin is the guy that's easiest to bet on. He came through here. But what did you what did you take away from the backfield?
5: Well, what I took away here was the very first play of the game was a Malcolm Brown carry. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm sure. Like, I guess this is just happening. We're just doing this again. Uh, but he only lasted five snaps. He picked up a quad injury. Don't know yet as of this taping whether it's like a contusion, whether it's a muscle pull. Both are kind of a big deal for a running back. And the quad is a rather large muscle, and it's not good to hurt it when you're an NFL running back. But so injury goes out. By definition, the three man committee becomes a two man committee. And yes, Miles Gaskin, uh, he out touched Salvin Ahmed 19 to 9. He was the preferred pass catching back, he was the preferred early down back. He got the touchdown. Ahmed did uh, roll up 57 yards on only nine touches, so it was not a bad day for Ahmed. But Gaskin, you know, just looked like kind of again, like when they needed a – it was a big play. You know, Miles Gaskin's like the back. They, they depend – they like trust the most. Even though, you know, some weeks they don't. I, maybe they don't. I don't know what was going on. But he, for like the third time this season, got a commitment as the back. And we don't know what Malcolm Brown's status is going to be. But heading into week eight, uh, it certainly appears that Miles Gaskin, whether Malcolm Brown returns or not, uh, will be the lead back. And it's it's a tough match. It's the Bills, too, and it's in Buffalo. So you would think, even if all three are there, it's going to set up as a Miles Gaskin. Game, it's their preferred pass catcher. And just maybe we can get another one of these like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 uh, Miles Gaskin reception games in week eight.
1: How much are you buying the Mike Josicki breakout? He had eight targets, seven receptions, 85 yards, and a touchdown here.
5: Yeah, I think he's 15 catches for 200 yards over the past two weeks. And this was, again, with Devontae uh, Parker missing yet another game. It was with Preston Williams just looking nothing like, you know, the early career guy who had so much potential for the injuries set in. But you know, we've heard all the usage stats you know, over the past weeks. They're basically using Mike Giusecki as a wide receiver. He scored a touchdown where he just high-pointed it like a humongous wide receiver, like a almost, like, unguardable guy in the end zone. And – Mike Giusecki, he popped up for these games for years, but he would never, ever string them together until now. And uh, it's pretty easy to buy into for a team that has talent at receiver, but just such wide receiver chaos. He's such a different type target than Jalen Waddell. He's not that different of a target than Devontae Parker. So I guess Devontae Parker maybe actually returning in week eight will be kind of like the final boss for this Mike Giusecki breakout. But this is the most real uh, any Mike Giusecki hot streak has ever felt.
1: And then we also have a Jalen Waddle breakout happening. He went seven for eighty-three on eight targets.
5: Yeah, it was a new career high for yardage for him. He's finally stringing together some good games. A little bit higher average depth of target, uh, almost 11, 12 yards per catch today. He he survived to an early like scare. He rolled up his ankle real bad in the turf, uh, but thankfully he was able to stay in the game and looked no worse for the wear. So it does not appear like it'll be a concern heading into Week Eight. How did uh, Tua look in this game? Tua, I mean, he was fine. It was like the cla- he just looked like the classic game manager when when he got to Dink and Dunk, he was pretty accurate. He made pretty good decisions. He got the ball out quickly enough. But like any moment, like the game sped up, any moment where they were like really needed a play, he made just two absolutely critical mistakes. He threw an end zone interception to a window to Durham Smythe, where there just was no window. The play got sped up, and he made a bad decision. And then the second interception was even worse. It was the fourth quarter. He's taking a sack. Instead of going down, he just blindly heaves the ball down the field. A linebacker picks it off. They were lucky it wasn't a pick six. And, you know, it's only probably like his eighth or ninth career start. But this is the kind of thing that cannot happen. Like your second year in the system, your second year as a pro, just seeing a little too much of that still. And just kind of like when he's stretched beyond anything other than managing the offense – Instead of getting big plays, we are getting big mistakes.
1: Not great. <laughs> Let's move to the second game uh, you did, where the Rams defeated the Lions twenty-eight to nineteen. Cooper Cup now the second player ever with six hundred plus yards and seven touchdowns in his first seven games of a season. The only other player to do this, uh, Randy Moss. So two players, <laughs> Cooper Cup and Randy Moss, ever done that. Uh, Cooper Cup. Is just lighting the world on fire.
5: He is, and he's yet to be, have under ten targets. Uh, he's caught seven passes in every game but one. You know, four two touchdown performances in seven games, and just like getting open at will, and like and it, so you know now like the Rams can just focus on they don't have to like manufacture touches for people. It's about if you if you get open, the quarterback can actually get you the ball. It's not like last year where they're having to design these like papa shots. For like Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, and like Cooper Cup is just getting open at will, maybe being schemed open at will over the middle of the field, and so Matthew Savers is throwing to him every play, and uh, and he's rewarding them. And yeah, I mean he's been he entered he entered this week as the wide receiver one, and he caught ten passes for 156 yards and two <laughs> touchdowns. So like we're at, we're at like the season's midway point. Uh, I can't quite remember what the stat Fox shared a stat at the end of the game. He's the first player of the Super Bowl era to have 800 yards and nine touchdowns through his team's first seven games. So, I mean, it's been like literally that's a stat
1: I shared, but mine was wrong and Fox's was right.
5: (laughs) He's uh literally (laughs) historic. Uh, yeah, I actually could not, I don't, anyways, maybe that one's wrong. Literally historic start for Cooper Cup,
1: yeah, historic start for sure. Robert Woods is like in this situation where he keeps doing like pretty good. He went six for seventy here on six targets. Um, but like that's in comparison to Cup of like very disappointing considering he was going ahead of Cup in, in most fantasy drafts. Uh what what's your takeaway on on Woods, Jefferson, Higby, the other non-historic guys in this offense?
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of already gave away my take on Robert Woods, where they just Robert Woods, you know, is such like a, a safe targets receptacle. Like you get him the ball. He can maybe make something happen after the catch. He can maybe spin out a tight coverage near the line of scrimmage. The kind of player you'd rely on if it's Jared Goff and you don't trust him to go down the field. You don't trust him to let a play develop for very long. You've got to get the ball out immediately. And that's just like cratered his target's floor, and not to mention his target ceiling, where seven games he's surpassed six targets uh, twice. Um, Today with six catches and 70 yards, both the second highest totals of the season. And that was was only on six targets. So he had to be literally perfect on his targets to get his second highest totals of the season. And he's just, I mean, he's just, it's just not making plays like Cooper. Cup. I don't know what I mean. Cooper cup is just, he's just been literally uncoverable. And maybe, I mean, Robert Woods doesn't seem like he's like getting blanketed, but it's that he's just like a gear behind Cooper cup. And like uh, they, they did the one squeaky wheel game, but like, it's just clear, like, they're not going to, they're not going to concern themselves. With it. As long as Cooper Cup is playing this well, they're not going to force the issue with Robert Woods. And he's just he's second fiddle right now.
1: And then uh, what about the backfield where Daryl Henderson here only had 45 yards on 15 carries. Sonny Michelle got mixed in for two carries, goes for four yards. It just seems like the Rams were finding a lot more success through, through the air rather than trying to run the ball.
5: Yeah, I was going to try to make a thesis of the play joke with Daryl Henderson, but I couldn't think of a good one. Uh, Sorry, that's like a way too inside fantasy football Twitter uh, joke. But, yeah, he had his worst game of the year in the ultimate smash spot. We were thinking top five for Daryl Henderson. I had him ranked as my RB5. But the Lions, they came out feisty. And, you know, the Lions, who had not played a single snap with a lead all season, played a ton of this game with the lead. So the Rams never got to get into, like, comfortable – you know move the chains, drain the clock, game script. They had to like stay aggressive, which was great for Cooper Cup. Great for Matthew Stafford. but we never got into like an established type environment. And Daryl Henderson, you know usually makes big plays. and what have usually rendered this a moot point just didn't get loose. I mean, just kind of just kind of randomness, you know, it's one of those days where he just didn't get loose and the workload wasn't amazing. Um, nothing too concerning. We get the exact same the exact same setups repeating itself in week eight. Because the Rams are traveling to Houston, who I believe scored five points uh, on Sunday, they did. And we get to go right back to the Darrow, the Daryl Henderson. Well, is hopefully twenty plus touches and just an absolute smash spot.
1: Yeah, that, that's some nice uh, nice bounce back script uh, ready for Daryl yeah. Henderson. Moving to the Lions, um, DeAndre Swift got off to a fast start in this game. Uh, he had eight receptions for ninety six yards and a touchdown. On ten targets, he also had thirteen rushes for forty-eight yards. Uh, seemed like kind of the story of their offense, but uh, what did you see from the Lions?
5: Yeah, I mean uh, it was the De- DeAndre Swift, Khalif Raymond show. Uh, Monroe St. Brown, I don't think he was hurt, uh, but he didn't get targeted. And uh, you know, I'm not like I'm not like seeing a game and like uh, I'm not Mr. Film Watcher base, so I can't like you know watch this game you know, my over-the-air television and be like, oh, what's going on here? But it seemed like probably a pretty heavy dose of Jalen Ramsey on Amon Ross St. Brown, mm-hmm. which, you know, might be a mismatch. Just might be a little <laughs> bit of a mismatch for a rookie Amon Ross St. Brown against Jalen Ramsey. So he goose-egged. And Khalif Raymond, uh, he'd been kind of coming on, and he, Jared Goff actually had a few really good targets to Khalif Raymond where he got him, like, you know, at like the apex of his route, basically, with a head of steam. Gave him some really nice yak opportunities. Khalif Raymond obliged. Uh, DeAndre Swift again we, is like kind of like the the Bizarro Daryl Henderson. We were hoping for like uh, you know crazy comeback mode the whole game, where he gets like it could have been a game where he got like fifteen to twenty targets. That didn't happen, but thankfully he ended in a moot point by scoring a sixty-three yard touchdown on the screen on the opening drive. And he did stack up. He did goose his PPR reception numbers uh, late in the game. So. Amon Ra, I think, will kind of probably resurface in week eight. Um, but I believe they're playing the Eagles. Uh, hopefully I'm not uh, making that up. They are indeed playing the Eagles. And hopefully Amon Ra bounces back to, like the five-catch, you know, 32-yard, led Amon Ra-Brown, St. Brown-Cook range. Uh, but I think the, the goose egg is probably mostly about Jalen Ramsey than anything else.
1: Yeah, that definitely does seem a bit unfair. DeAndre Swift almost caught uh, another reception, which I – the announcers seemed to think he might have been able to take for a touchdown, but there was a miscommunication between him and Goff. There well. was,
5: and it seemed to be Jared Goff's fault, as these things often are, because if he had thrown it to where DeAndre Swift was, uh, he would have scored. And Yeah, so, that
1: seems like maybe he should have done that.
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he was not where he was supposed to be, but the spot where he was was definitely the I'm going to score a touchdown spot, and uh, well, Jared Goff did not deliver it there. <laughs>
1: Big problem. Doesn't seem like we can put too much fault on Swift. I just want to say before we uh, wrap up on the Lions that, you know, I'm not sure that if the Lions were good, we would like the way Dan Campbell was, you know, running his offense. I'm pretty sure it would have a lot of Jamal Williams and we wouldn't be fans. But I love the way he's running this offense, trying desperately to beat the Rams. You know, he. But tell us about all the trick plays and all the, all the stops he was pulling out.
5: See, so yeah, I mean, they went for a fake punt on the opening drive, and then, or maybe it wasn't the opening drive, but I know I think it was. I don't remember. Fake punt. They had a scoring drive. They immediately kick an onside kick, recover the onside kick. They go back to the fake punt in the second half because you know that is that's like the untold story of the fake punt. That like the the time the fake punt is least expected is after you have already fake punted in a game. <laughs> that's and true. The Rams were like, well, whatever. They used up their fake punt quota. Surely, there's no way they're going to fake punt again, and then they did uh, again. And, and they went they convert all three of them. They did. So all the, they got the onside kick. They got they converted both fake punts. They did have a very daring fourth down uh, go for it where they did not get it. Uh, DeAndre Swift actually got stood up, I believe, on a third and a fourth down in the third quarter. So that wasn't great. Um, but yeah, I mean they were that was like the only I mean, they were only in the game because of the fake punts and the onside kick. So they had to stick what was working, and the, what the, like the the fourth down conversion was not like a low percentage call. They were giving the ball to their best playmaker, he just didn't convert. So Dan Campbell uh, desperately wanted to win this game.
1: Well, I hope he gets a win here eventually. I, I like his style.
5: He's gonna get a Good dub. For you, Dan. Yeah, he's gonna get yeah. a dub.
1: <laughs> we're rooting for you. All right, Pat Darty, thanks so much. The Giants defeated the Panthers 25 to three in a game where Sam Darnold. Was benched, Kyle Dvorak, Not the stretch here that we wanted from Sam Darnold after three and zero
6: start. Yeah, this was a. This is an abomination. I. I had i'm going to nbc's hr and filing complaint that i was forced to watch this game sam Darnold did not play well daniel jones was at a minimum also trying to compete to be the worst quarterback in this game but there was just going to be no catching sam Darnold unless pj walker comes in and goes i think three of 14 maybe you can count that but at least his expectations were low yeah donald was scattershot. he missed deep shots he missed short shots he also had some passes dropped and he was also under pressure it was a bad showing from pretty much the entire team I'll probably always call around an exception for DJ Moore because he goes out and sees at least 5 catches in every game and he's still reasonably efficient while he does it. So, I'll carve out an exception for him, but outside of that, the line I don't think played particularly well, but it's not an excuse. Sam Darnold just looked like Jet Sam Darnold. It was not a good performance from him and like It's because he looked like he's looked for the past four years. That's why I'm concerned. Like when good quarterbacks go and have a bad game, I'm like, that's fine. That happens. You know, defenses get good reads on quarterback. This was just Sam Darnold playing as though he was the same quarterback he's always been, which, hey, maybe after a large sample of him, even in bad circumstances with the Jets, maybe he just is that guy. Because he is, especially after you said he started off well, since then it's kind of gone downhill. He's just playing like mistake-prone, but also low-ceiling Sam Darnold from the Jets.
1: It is concerning because heading into this game, we were starting to think, is he the guy that we saw with the Jets? And then he turns in a performance that literally gets him benched. Uh, You mentioned DJ Moore had 10 targets, 6 receptions, 73 yards. That's pretty nice. Robbie Anderson, though, (laughs) 9 targets. He's had a ton of targets this year, but he goes 3 for 14. I mean, like, it's hard not to want to... Put some faith in a guy who's consistently seeing targets, but uh, where are you out on Robbie Anderson? And what did you see in this game? What why weren't
6: uh, he and Darnold able to connect at all? Well, it's because Darnold's not good, and that's the thing we've seen from Darnold for almost forever. I, I like he is. I there's no way to spin it that is good for Sam Darnold. the The best fantasy stretch he was putting up was because of rushing touchdowns. I believe and I believe we're seeing this with the uh you know the trade rumors for potentially Deshaun Watson. The Panthers know Sam Darnold is not that good and they're already not committing to him. You know, I you know at the end of the game, Matt Rule says he's our quarterback going forward. That's something Every quarterback hears right before they get benched, right before they they trade for someone. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but it's just overall the lack of faith from the organization. It tells us what we need to know that it's just a, a Sam Darnold issue with this team. To his credit, though, Robbie Anderson had one doink right off his chest. It wasn't a you know a 50-yard touchdown in the making or whatever, but. Robbie Anderson probably also should at least have some some say, you know, he gets some of the blame here, but I really just think it's that, especially the way Robbie Anderson operates, DJ Moore's targets are generally, you know, I, I'm not a quarterback expert, but I would imagine the targets within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage are a lot easier for a quarterback who's pretty spotty with his accuracy to hit than the ones that are 20 yards downfield. So I think it's, it's a little bit of both, but it's specifically the mismatch of the difficulty of throws that Robbie Anderson's routes can generate and the quarterback being unable to make those high-difficulty throws.
1: Chuba Hubbard got five targets here. That's a little encouraging, you know, given how dysfunctional the offense is. His uh, receiving game usage has been a little bit up and down, but um, what were your thoughts on him and the backfield?
6: Yeah, he pretty much saw most of the backfield work. We saw a little bit of Royce Freeman, but, you know, to the extent that we see any backup running back come in, in any game that I think they, you know, have a chance of putting up, I don't know, more than three points, which is just a, a real shame. He looks like the the true bell cow. He's not He's not quite getting targeted at that Mike Davis level, but you don't have to be if you see all of the work. You still are in play for RB1 numbers any given week, assuming you play on a competent offense. And I've backed on Sam Darnold for the first, I don't know how long we've been on, five or so minutes. This was a worse performance that you just can't project this type of bottom out. I think he comes back to being a not great but not terrible quarterback, this was a a true bottoming out for him. I think he comes back, and I think because of that, as long as the offense is acceptable, which it's been acceptable up to this point and sometimes good, that's all you need from Chuba Hubbard from the offense to be enough for him to live up to the volume that he's seen, which is very good.
1: On the other side, Daniel Jones only throws for 203 203 yards, does throw a touchdown, um, but not a ton, you know, overall and then he rushes for 28 yards on on eight attempts uh doesn't get in the end zone there's a rusher so not the best day from daniel jones either uh what did you make of him and the giants passing game?
6: Yeah, he also didn't look great, but I would argue even more so. He was in a spot where his number one receiver was Darius Slayton, who was not guaranteed to play in this game. He comes in banged up as well, and it's not like he had good options after that. They had ex- they had completely depleted all of their depth. It was John Ross and Dante Pettis, complete retreads from other teams that cut ties with them you know, a year or more ago. So I, I have a little bit less blame on Daniel Jones, although he also didn't play well. He actually, I believe he had a deep shot to Darius Slayton that was off, and it could have. Could have really improved his day. So I think it was not the bottoming out I talked about with Sam Donald, but it was another game that showed us he is who he is. He's going to be a high floor quarterback because he has that Russian Konami code. But I I struggle to ever find a ton of ceiling with him, especially with his weapons right now, because in any given week, he's just going to, he's going to have like three or four passes. He's completely airmail. So, he showed he is who he is. Both these quarterbacks kind of showed they are who they are for Daniel Jones, though, when you have that rushing floor, I'm not going to give Sam Darnold a ton of credit for the rushing floor for the multi touchdown games. Daniel Jones is a true athlete. He has the rushing floor that you are a little more accepting of the poor passing performances because he can just get there in a way that other quarterbacks can.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think Sterling Shepard being out like that's, he's not as good as DJ Moore, but that's kind of the DJ Moore type of guy in the offense, more the intermediate stuff. Um, And so, yeah, I think, you know, your point about him not having the receiving quality weapons uh, is a really good one. Um, Darius Slayton, more of the Robbie Anderson, but at least they were able to connect. He had five for 63 on nine targets. Sounds like it could have been an even bigger day. Devontae Booker uh, had 14 rushes for 51 yards and a touchdown. Uh, What did you take away from the backfield here?
6: I was a little concerned Elijah Penny got more carries than I'm expecting from what I think of him as a traditional fullback type, but I think he's almost like a hybrid where he could in a pinch probably play running back, and he got a lot of short yardage work. It didn't happen to steal a touchdown away as it did, I believe, a week ago, which is that's the saviors when you don't have that touchdown stolen. You can get there as Devontae Booker, but I do worry that if they get within the one because a lot of the short yardage in this case was just third and one on the 30 or whatever, that's a a carry I'm fine giving away because it's probably going to result in two yards at best when those come in on the goal line, that's where I'd get a little concerned. So maybe, you know, even though he scores, he was scored. he scored. I think it was in the fourth quarter. It was turnover on downs. I believe from PJ Walker, the game was well out of hand. So it was the perfect setup. He did punch in a nice long run. though. It was uh, not like a one yard run. So I would say I'm a little concerned that maybe we cap his touchdown upside as not the true bell cow taking over all the Saquon Barkley work, but overall still saw a decent amount of carries, saw enough targets, sort of like Chuba Hubbard, good enough that when the offense plays well, I think you can project him, probably not. I think Chuba, you could argue, maybe is in that RB1-2 borderline now that we're getting into buy heavy weeks. Now that we know that there is potential for a touchdown vulture for Devontae Booker, I think it's more if you rely on, I want to say empty calories, but you maybe lose some upside, more of that RB16-18 type of range, depending on the buy, the buy status of the week.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you If you're losing that touchdown, it can really hurt. Let's get to the second game that you covered, the Raiders defeating the Eagles 33-22. The Eagles defense is now allowed 28 points in four of the last five games, uh, 28 points or more. Uh, The Raiders putting up a ton of offense here and the Eagles offense not really delivering. What would you see here, Kyle?
6: Yeah, man, Derek Carr was on fire. This is a great game for Derek Carr. It was super interesting because... I I think conceptually a lot of times uh, and this ties back into my almost confusion with the Eagles is that when I think of a, a player on fire, I think of them just throwing, you know, 30 yard, 40 yard passes left and right. And Derek Carr did have some deep shots. He wasn't just dinking dunking like Drew Brees game, but he completed 31 of 34, over 91%. And the Eagles are sort of, they foster that environment perfectly because they are one of the, I believe they came into this week as the second lowest team in terms of long pass uh, long pass completions allowed. They just, they they give it up between zero and like 15 yards and beyond that, they don't let you gash them deep. But Derek Carr, a super accurate intermediate and short passer, he's also throwing deeper this year than normal, but his calling. Is being highly accurate short and intermediate, and he has the weapons to do that. Like Hunter Renfro, a good enough, you know, I think a good enough pass catcher when Derek Carr is playing well, and the Eagles are giving up that exact type of play that he just he locked on. Like he locked on to just the specific spot of the field, not even an individual player as much, but just a specific spot on the field, and was just lights out. So, like I, I don't mean in any way to say the you know the low A dot passing. Uh, degrades what he did he was just like automatic just like just watching a dude go like 95 percent from free throws or something and did have some deep shots as well so a great game from Carr, who just consistently surprises a passer the only thing he lacks which you know typical pocket quarterbacks do is no rushing so i his performance has been great i still don't know if you can really rank him as like a qb1 even in good matchups going forward
1: yeah the eagles did foster quite a good environment for tight end production here with foster moreau oh. getting uh six receptions <laughs> for 60 yards at a touchdown
6: uh, I didn't mean I. I know <laughs> I, I set that up. I did not mean to do that. It is nice though, because I don't know if you heard It's National Tight End Day. Foster comes I in. Did hear. He's, a, he's a, like, he had a bunch of, I believe it was five touchdowns in his rookie season. He's sort of uh, in that mold of like a guy who, sure, he's not going to see a ton of targets on a consistent basis, but he's a pretty good red zone weapon. And I think as your backup tight end, he's probably one of the league's better backup tight ends. It seemed like because Darren Waller was able to go out and, uh, you know, test it out. His ankle in pregame warmups ultimately didn't go, but because he was able to go out and test the idea that he just could have played this week if pregame went right, I think uh, Raiders are on bye this coming week, I believe. I think I would guess he would be back after that because of how close he was. Maybe he's not as close and it was more of a a facade, you know, just, uh, you know, going through the motions, but I would guess he's back the next time we see the Raiders play and Foster Moreau at that point obviously is a, a zero again and Hunter Renfro's targets probably also go down. But if he's not back, yeah, Foster Moreau looks like, uh, you know, do a good impression of Darren Waller, to say the least.
1: Any takeaways on Henry Ruggs, who had four for 24 on four targets? Brian Edwards had three for 43 on four targets. He did at least score a touchdown, uh, targeted right near the goal line. Um, like, I guess it just kind of comes down to a lot of available targets short, over the middle, as you were talking about before, but um, – the actual wide receivers that we would think ha- would have a big game when Derek Carr goes off like
6: this didn't really get there. Yeah, I think for Henry Ruggs, he just is uh, especially the way you know Gruden typically uses him. I think I think how incredibly fast and twitchy Henry Ruggs is. He's the type of player you just want to get the ball in his hands, but Gruden generally has shaded towards using him specifically as that deep threat. So unless we see this like, you know, perfectly flawless route tree from him, he will be very susceptible to matchups. And as we talked about before, the Eagles are like the perfect counter to someone like Henry Ruggs. And in this game, apparently they focus so much on stopping that type of big play, which they have always done this year that uh, yeah it was probably destined to be a disappointing game from Henry Ruggs I would imagine going forward uh, volatile but at least a better projection than this game still though he's not you know I think he has like one game with over four catches this season he's not a highly involved piece of the offense and we saw even this week even when Darren Waller's down it's not the best matchup for him because the way the Eagles play but I still would have hoped to see more from him yeah he's like a he's what he probably was always going to be as a as a middling producer with super athleticism a boom-bust wide receiver four, maybe.
1: What about the backfield? I know Josh Jacobs uh, exited this game pretty early with a chest injury. He got a touchdown, 29 yards on six rushes, and then Kenyon Drake had 14 carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown, um, you know, playing a lot after Jacobs went down. Uh, any news on Jacobs, and what, do you, what did you take away from the backfield?
6: Last report was that Jacobs avoided a serious injury doesn't give us a ton to work with but i think coming off the bye that usually means that he should be able to play if he if he doesn't though i'm not so sure i want to lean into the kenyan drake that we saw in this game because peyton barber was healthy scratched and that does it is an indictment of peyton barber but the fact that peyton barber just a few weeks ago when we saw josh jacob's sideline in his first game got over 20 carries and i believe he had 13 the next game i think peyton barber is just a player that when they don't need him They do not need him in the slightest. And when they do need him, they're going to use him as if he's pseudo Josh Jacobs. So especially, you know, you'll know if he's active once we get inactives in two weeks, if Jacobs is out, if he's active, as long as they're not healthy, scratching him once they need him, I think we would just default right back to what we saw the last time. I wouldn't be going absolutely nuts on Kenyon Drake fab because I think Josh Jacobs should be back. And even if he isn't, I really do think Peyton Barber just comes back to a 15 carry a game role for as long as Josh Jacobs is out.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, on the other side, Miles Sanders was also injured. Any any word on uh, his injury?
6: It seems like it might be uh, a little more serious at least. Goes in for x-rays. Uh, Nick Sirianni said they don't think he broke any bones in his ankle or his foot. They don't know, and he couldn't really give an update, and uh, they don't have the buy coming up. So I would say this one's at least a little more serious. I would probably give him a less than 50-50 shot of, of playing. He walked off and then had to be carted to the locker room, and he had to be helped off the field even. So I would say, you know, it's early. We'll learn more later, but I would say he's one that I'm more willing to push the chips in on his backups because I think you're more likely to get gains out of his backups as starters. I thought it was a little strange and concerning for, uh, you know, the Kenneth Gainwell truther in me that Boston Scott actually outcarried him in this game. I would say a lot of times we see the in game injury does not result in the same game plan as when you have a week to prepare for it. And Boston Scott, I believe these were his first carries of the season, and he had like two targets in the entire season. He's been completely phased out of the offense. I'm not going to buy too much into one game where he and Kenneth Gainwell come in as the backups and he out carries Kenneth Gainwell. Gainwell, I believe, saw a targets in this game as well. Easily out-targeted Boston Scott. The role you think Boston Scott would have played if they actually used him. So all of that kind of amounts to me believing this Boston Scott usage in this spot was a bit of a mirage. I'd be willing to kind of push the chips in on Kenneth Gainwell if I need some running back production in the next two to three weeks, say.
1: Gainwell lost a fumble in this game. Was that related to the Scott usage at all?
6: I think it's possible. It could also just be uh, he's a rookie who they have recently also kind of been phasing out. They've at least been phasing Miles Sanders and more. So it's possible it's related to the fumble. He also he was also being used early in the game, though, when Miles Sanders was like healthy and in the game, he scored a touchdown on the, I was believe that was their first drive. And that was Sanders had not been hurt yet. So the usage, I think, like uh, just seesawed a lot in this game that it's difficult to, it's difficult to take anything from one game sample.
1: What about on the receiving side here? Jalen Rager got in the end zone, but only had two for 25 on two targets. Quiz Watkins had two for 37 on four targets. Devontae Smith uh, led the receivers with five for 61 on nine targets. And then Goddard had three for 70 on five targets.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the status quo at this point is that uh it's going to be Devonta Smith and then maybe some guy shows up and gets a long catch, gets a touchdown. But Devonta Smith has pretty clearly week in, week out shown that when he gets eight, nine targets, that means everyone else on the team got six. Maybe some guy popped up for seven or eight, but pretty consistently. I notice every time I get the Eagles for a game, I'm blurbing once again, Devonta Smith paces the team in targets. And I do think at some point he's had kind of a a middling stretch of games where I think he's at like 160, 170 yards over the past three games. We saw a few weeks, just one week before that, 122 yards in one game. When your team is completely abandoning the run, and you have a quarterback who's at least not afraid to huck it. I don't think Hurts is playing the best football right now, but we know he is going to at least be like the focal point of the offense first quarter to fourth quarter. And that results in them being a particularly pass heavy team. If you're the number one receiver for that team, which Devonta Smith very clearly is, I think he's got a super high ceiling. I'm kind of willing to bite the bullet on some of these lackluster performances and keep playing him.
1: That makes sense. All right,
0: Uh, Kyle Dvorak, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
6: Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...
1: the patriots defeated the jets 54 to 13 and the patriots first 50 plus point performance since 2015 i covered this game and the patriots just rolled the jets here uh the big story i think is damian harris who rushed 14 times for 106 yards and two touchdowns he could have had an insanely productive day he uh really was just not needed any more than what he did Uh, He looked incredibly uh, explosive, just acceleration that really jumped off the screen, Um, but it got to the point where the Patriots didn't need to ride him anymore, and so J.J. Taylor came in. He had nine rushes for 21 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, those two touchdowns in a close game, a game where the Jets weren't getting completely blown out, could have gone to Harris. Of course, part of the reason the Jets were getting blown out is that the Patriots were able to run all over them, but... You know the point remains. Uh, Harris had some ceiling taken away just because of the the pure blowout that this game turned into. Uh, the other back here of note is Brandon Bolden, who looked to really be in the James White role. He had six receptions for 79 yards and a touchdown on seven targets, and he looked pretty good on his touchdown, uh, showing some some nice speed uh, and. You know, it looked last week like maybe Bolden was not going to be in the James White role. Ramondre Stevenson look, uh, looked like maybe he was coming on. Stevenson was a healthy scratch in this game. J.J. Taylor looked kind of like the backup to Harris. And then Bolden looked like he was in the James White role. So maybe we are starting to, to see some defined roles post-James White injury now. Could be that Taylor's basically a handcuffed to Harris. And Bolden is actually maybe the standalone value guy. Uh, That's how it looked in this game anyway. Uh, Moving to the receivers on the Patriots' side, Kendrick Bourne threw for a touchdown here on a trick play. He threw a touchdown pass to Nelson Aguilar. But Bourne also had four receptions for 68 yards, the leading wide receiver in this game. So pretty nice day for him. I'm not sure we can really take much from it going forward. um, But interesting to note that Bourne actually led all wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar was second with 51 yards on two receptions. Jacoby Myers only had uh, 44 yards here on five receptions. Not the most productive day, but Mac Jones, you know, he had 36 attempts, but uh, he, his last drive came with, it finished with over nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then he didn't return to the game. So they pulled him pretty early. Brian Horror came in. uh, So, you know, Less passing attempts, certainly less good quality passing attempts than uh, we could have had. Again, if the Jets had had shown up, and we also saw Nikhil Harry late in this game, uh, we saw you know the starters get pulled. So hard to take too much from the receiving game. Mac Jones, I thought, looked good. He looked like he's efficiently moving the ball, you know, downfield, kind of game manager. Uh, and they didn't need that much from him. They were able to to use Harris. You know, Average 7.6 yards per carry to really drive the offense here uh, On the Jets side, Zach Wilson injured his knee. Uh, he was tackled from behind came up grabbing his knee He did manage to walk off the field He went to the blue medical tent Then he limped to the locker room following that and then he did not return uh, he he was injured I believe in the second quarter before the half did not come out of the locker room following halftime was ruled out so it's, it's not great. From what we've heard, it sounds like it's a PCL injury, and they need to determine how long he'll be out, but uh, he'll miss some time. Um, it seems like you know a few weeks at a minimum, but uh, more to come on that. He did not look good uh, before going down. He had 10 attempts, uh, went 51 yards through the air, um, and... Then uh, Mike White came in after uh, Zach Wilson was injured and looked kind of decent for like like a quarter, uh, and then he threw two interceptions and it kind of looked like you know he's probably about as good as we would expect Zach Wilson's backup to be. But he did show some chemistry uh, early on with Corey Davis. He hit Davis on the sideline for a nice toe tap reception from Davis and Davis is playing well. I think Davis is doing about all he can uh to be productive in this offense. He had 47 yards on 6 targets and a touchdown. And Jameson Crowder had 4 for 34 here. Elijah Moore only had 1 for 13 on 6 targets. Uh not not a great showing from Moore as a receiver, but he did have a touchdown on a 19-yard rush and he looked good there. I mean, you can tell why they were excited about him. Because he is very athletic, um, and it was like a jet sweep that he came around on, um, or some kind of sweep. They sort of pitched it to uh, two more after after some motion. But as he had, he kind of came around from the other side of the formation. They pitch it to him. He continues around and uh, and takes it in for a touchdown, getting up to speed, showing some nice speed. But you know, as a receiver, where it really matters, only had one reception on six targets. In terms of the backfield here, Michael Carter, definitely the lead back. He had 11 rushes for 37 yards. Tevin Coleman was a healthy scratch here, which helped. Um, Ty Johnson had five rushes for six yards. So, you know, 11 rushes to five. Michael Carter, definitely in the lead. But it's kind of like it was, I think, before the bye. Doesn't seem like Michael Carter's got a commanding lead of this offense now. And if you look at the receiving numbers, Carter had nine targets eight receptions for 67 yards which is pretty nice Uh, that's like if if you know the jets are i was going to say if the jets are going to be this bad i think we know that they are in a lot of games um, then for the backs to get this much receiving actually makes them pretty valuable ty johnson did as well he had seven targets for six receptions and 65 yards i guess what i would note is if one of these two guys were to take over a lot more of this work and it condensed to one player, that player would actually be pretty valuable. Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen. And I, I don't think it will outside of injury, but you know, still interesting to note that there were 16 targets here to the running backs and that the top two receivers for this team this week were both running backs. So not too much else to take away from this game. The jets never really had a chance in this game. The Patriots just ran away with it from the beginning Hopefully Zach Wilson won't miss too much time, um, and uh, hopefully we can see a full game next week out of Damian Harris because uh, I like what we're seeing there. Looks like uh, he's having, you know, the type of season where we could start to think of him as as one of the most talented, uh, you know, two down guys in the entire league. Um, but that'll do it for the Patriots defeating the Jets, 54 to
5: 13.
1: All right, that'll do it for the Week Seven Recap Show. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And make sure to check out all of our shows throughout the week. We've got our Monday Waiver Wire show where John Daigle and I go live on YouTube at the halftime of Monday Night Football to answer all of your waiver questions. We've got our Tuesday show with Pat and Denny. We've got a two-part preview that runs Wednesday and Thursday. We've got DFS building blocks on Friday. We've got our Week 8 preview show at noon next Sunday and then we'll be back here to recap WeGate. Thanks so much for listening
0: and we'll see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
6: Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean...